From Relevant Magazine, it's the Relevant Podcast. Real wild, just can't chill out. Since little child, basically till now. I've been as fast since Simpson and Millhouse. Been pals since Alan Clinton. Bills now paid, grown and I feel proud. I don't cry over milk getting spilled out. I don't play though when I play shows. I play those like it's Play-Doh and I'm paid though. Slay foes like Doughboy when they hit Ricky still can't delegate. It's the week of Friday, July 27, 2012, and this is The Relevant Podcast, a very special edition of The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, here with me in our Orlando studios, the very lovely Maya Strang. Hello. Uh, Also here, Calvin Kearley. Good afternoon, good evening. I I, I had no adjective for you. Uh, That's okay. Sorry. That's not very lovely. I don't want it. Yeah. (laughs) On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And on the ones and twos, our illustrious producer, Chad Michael Snave. Hello, friends. So we, uh, you know, a, a little behind the scenes here at the podcast, we, we record things out of order. I mean, I think you know that. I All mean, we have guests who record in our studio, live performances. We didn't do that live. They, they were here a few days ago. Mm-hmm. We, we do the interviews out of sync, and then Chad... Uh, puts it all together. The suspension of disbelief is, is ruined. So let me yeah. tell you what just happened. Right. We just spent 45 minutes talking to John Tesh. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and it flew by. Yeah. It, it yeah. felt like, I mean, it was like 30 seconds. Well, I don't know about 30 seconds. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> 45. Well, I'm just saying, yeah. no, I, I'm being sincere. He, the, he's a very engaging person. Yep. It, yeah. It had a lot of uh, funny stories. Crazy stories. Crazy yeah. stories. So uh, this Andy is. And he raps. Okay, yeah, we're gonna do a little foreshadowing here, folks. You know how you know legend. You know, legend has it that he called his own voicemail and did the NBA on NBC theme song and recorded it for himself. And he he does that with another song for us. Number one, number two, he raps. John Tesh raps. I. I, I it Wait, may- so can you say it one more time? Because I don't think our listeners yeah. understand what just happened. John Tesh. Raps, <laughs> and he he's not just spitting one verse. This is an entire song. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's the entire. <laughs> I'm still in the afterglow of absorbing what just happened when, when he when he answered on the other end of the Skype line and and his and we heard his voice. I'll be honest, I got a little nervous. <laughs> I did too. Like I thought, this is real, man. This is yeah. real. Yeah. What have we done? Cameron went through like five shirts during the interview because he was sweating so profusely. <laughs> so um, it's over. We can let our hair down. We can relax and do our podcast. Uh, yeah. So, so we don't have the normal segments. We don't have like two guests and feedback. It's all just kind of one. It's just Tesh. One massive segment of John. It's Tesh. the Tesh episode. It is a very special episode of the Brelin Podcast. Mm. Um, at the end, he basically solicits sponsors for us. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> that's interesting. So, <laughs> so get, gather the family around. <laughs> yeah. But up first, uh, your entertainment releases stuff coming out this week. Music coming out on Tuesday, July 31st. You're not going to want to miss Rick Ross <laughs> with with the very Christian album, God Forgives, I Don't. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think John Tesh is, is featured on that album. I believe he is. Yeah. Well, that's what he was promoming <laughs> right, here on this right. week's podcast. Um, Josh Stone is coming out with The Soul Sessions, Volume 2. Joshua Raiden is coming out with Underwater. Anchor and Braille with The Quiet Life. Our pick of the week is Jesus Culture with Emerging Voices. Movies coming out on Friday, August third. We're getting down to the uh, the lower dregs of the summer blockbuster season before the fall indie goodness fires up. We have to burn through some big budget I guess disasters. It is the end of July. Mm-hmm. You know, it's August now, August third. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Total Recall is coming out. I totally want to see that. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, it looks awesome. Yeah, okay. Uh, so you're not going with me? <laughs> apparently not. Um, but I will see Step Up Revolution. That's apparently, right. thanks for leaving that in, Chad. These are I want to see both of these. These are great movies. What are you talking about? Day night. <laughs> um, Celeste and Jesse Forever, starring Rashida Jones and Andy Samberg. That mm-hmm. looks like a good indie flick. Yeah. Uh, Andy, Andy. Speaking of which, Andy Samberg talks to us in Relevant. He's in the next issue of Relevant in September, talking about this this uh, movie and some others. That's great. Yeah. Yep. And 360, starring Jude Law, Anthony Hopkins. And I don't know that one. Yeah, I have no idea. That's what I'm saying. 
That'll do it for your entertainment releases. Stay tuned. We're flying through this because we got to make room yeah. for the Tesh. <laughs> Up next, Slices. You should You're listening to Passion Pit. The song is I'll Be Alright. Passion Pit. I assume in an actual Passion Pit, they're playing John Tesh sax albums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's, how, that's why they're alright. Right. Yeah. I'd be worried if they were playing anything else. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Shad with the song Out Here, Cannonball. It's Good on stuff. his brand new mixtape. Uh, as you know... Like a real mixtape. Uh, it's five songs. It's an EP. Uh, it's over at Bandcamp. Uh, as you know, we're huge fans of Shad. Um good conscious clean living hip-hop he's from vancouver we've featured him in the magazine and elsewhere he has a new mixtape out brand new it's fantastic and you can download it for a pay whatever you want over at Bandcamp. so if you google shad Bandcamp or shad mixtape you'll find it it's worth your couple bucks okay it's time for slices what do you have jesse all right well uh this story uh this is kind of the conclusion to a story that's had my interest all week uh so i wanted now that now that the story has has found a, a, a good conclusion. I wanted to bring it to the attention of the podcast because uh, people may have seen the headlines about a goat man that was <laughs> on the loose in the yes. remote mountains of Utah. Did you guys see anything about this story? I'm sorry, what? Yes. Wait, like Goat Boy has now become Goat Man? Yeah, he grew up. <laughs> Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer. Is yep. now on the loose in Utah. <laughs> uh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> you ever wonder what happened to Jim Brewer? He's living in the remote mountains of Utah. That's um, about right. Uh, off half-baked money. Okay, uh, so no, a, a a hiker was hiking in Utah and took a very disturbing picture out on the horizon. You can see this picture online. Uh, you see uh, like a mountain, but there is a creature that appears to be man-like on all fours, but is all white and may even have horns. Uh, so a man took a picture of, of this goat right. man that was in the mountains and uh, sent it to some wildlife experts and said, uh, I don't want to alarm anyone, but we have a goat man on the loose. <laughs> um, I love how he prefaces the, the message. I don't want to alarm anyone. Which, of course, of course, that's you can only hear there's a goat man on the loose and be terrified. Yeah, right, right. Um, but he talked us so, down, so... Mm-hmm. So I, I was hoping that Monster Quest would would you guys are familiar with the show Monster Quest? Of course, I assume, yeah. I assume all your DVRs are set. Uh, would immediately uh, head to the scene, um, but after a few days, the wildlife uh, officials in Utah, who are publicizing the photo to say, if you know anything about this goat man, please let us know, got a anonymous call from a quote unquote agitated man. And here's all that was said on the phone call. Leave goat man alone. He's done nothing wrong. <laughs> what? <laughs> of course. So the, the plot thickens. The plot thickens here in Utah. Was this it, is where I picked up the story. Was it, okay. Leave you, him alone. Was it actually goat man who called in? Hmm. It turns out it was Goatman who called in. Um, oh. And, you know, the, the wildlife officials had said, we really need to find this guy because this could be dangerous because he's approaching this herd. In the photo, he's approaching a herd of wild goats dressed as a goat. They said he could be shot by a hunter or he could be attacked by goats or he could slip and fall. Either of those are not good outcomes is the scenario. But um, it, hold on. In rural Utah, are there, are there a lot of wild goat hunters? Is there... See that that's where the story takes a, a really disturbing turn. Oh my. Uh, because it turns out that this man is a is an international hunter and he's very experienced. He travels the world hunting and it's we're coming very close to the beginning of goat hunting season. Which I didn't I didn't know people hunt goats. That's a little weird and a little dark. Yeah. Uh, and especially a... because he was armed with a crossbow. If it's in a petting zoo, maybe we shouldn't have a season to hunt it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It, it doesn't seem very sporting, does it? No. You know, I mean, how fast can a goat run? <laughs> I don't know. I just can't imagine it's very fast. <laughs> They're surprisingly uh, swift, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> Especially these mountain goats. Um, and that's why the man who is this uh, experienced international hunter decided that 
in order to to figure out how to get close to this herd of goats with his crossbow, he would develop his own goat costume and crawl up the mountain near the herd of goats. So it's mystery solved. That's actually not illegal. So, uh, you know, they, they found out who the goat man is. They warned him of the dangers. But now fellow hikers in Utah do not have to be worried about encountering the goat man. The goat man. Wow. Uh, I think I actually heard a follow-up to the story. Isn't the guy, uh, wasn't he identified as the lead singer of Gautier? <laughs> and he was just doing, he was just full circle. You can see and they were, they were like, weren't you, weren't you the lead? <laughs> they said, weren't you the lead singer of a popular band? He goes, no, that was someone that you used to know. Oh. Oh. Yep. <laughs> what do you have there, Maya? Uh, apparently NASA is bored because they are now... Well, they don't have any shuttles to launch. Right. What, what are you going to do? They are attempting to recreate the smell of space. What? Apparently, it smells different. It's you, just... It's a vacuum. Right. How has anybody smelled it? Because if you aren't they, encapsulated, you would get your brain sucked out. Maybe after you true. go out as Tesh an astronaut says, and you come back in the ship, yes. they're like, oh, you smell like outside. They say that their 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 <laughs> outfit, whatever that is. Well, you probably smell like space junk. Just like, yeah. you, like you they smell say it's like either, trash. It says it has a sweet smelling odor that's on their suits when they come back in that, they, that the astronauts can smell. And they say it's... Downy fresh. <laughs> right. <laughs> Downy's all in this space. The Downy. The, se- the secret of Downy's technology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, outer space. <laughs> outer space, space air. Space air. Yeah. Um, they said it's possibly the result of radiation or space dust. <laughs> and so they're going to try and recreate it because they want to have. Um, so that they said they like want a cologne. Cre- yeah, they want to recreate it for when uh, astronauts go back up into space, so that they'll be familiar with that scent. What? Which seems kind it's of. Well, well, I, I don't understand because last time I was at Yankee Candle, I bought a pomegranate sunrise, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Good a ho- house warmer. Right. I, I bought a, a summer evening car freshener, but I also got the deep space black hole candle. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't know why they're still looking. What well, is it? It makes your your living room seem a lot more roomy. Yeah, oh. I, and, and I spent seventy five dollars in those three candles. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you probably did. So, so, so they're wanting to recreate the smell for training purposes. For they're training not going to like sell it as a novelty cologne. They pr- uh, they might if they're able to do it. Have you heard? It's in the next issue of Relevant. I just read slices. We're going to print today, and uh, the Wallpaper Magazine is releasing a new cologne that smells like uh, the a book. You know, like the the yeah. smell of paper in a book, like binding glue. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're literally packaging up for readers a cologne that smells when like we, a library. Basically. We, do you know what they're calling it? Headache. <laughs> <laughs> when we used to uh, print books, when we would get them fresh from the printer yeah. and open a box, I liked that smell. I wouldn't wear it, but I did like it. So it's like the beach. You like the smell, but unlike that Seinfeld episode, we wouldn't wear it. Right. No. Yeah. It's uh, like or a freshly cut grass or something. Like, oh, you know, uh, someone the neighbors, not me, the neighbors cut the grass. You know, like, oh, that's a good smell. But I would want to walk around smelling like that. Yeah. It's well, like, they do have. I think there's a can- there is a Yankee Candle about grass, grass cutting. Yeah. I think. And now deep vortex space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's good for it's good for the garage. The one small little tidbit that really doesn't have anything to do with it. They talked to. Um, they did research with people that have gone into space and asked them like, what are the smells up there? And they're like, well, when you're, you know, it's normal smells up there. But for Russia, um, it says that Russia is allowed to bring up, um, Russia said that they smelled vodka, vodka because they are allowed to bring vodka up when they go to space. So the the <laughs> Russian cosmonauts are just <laughs> wasted. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah you, I, I heard about a cosmonaut in a DWI in a, uh, <laughs> He crashed into a satellite. Shove, the, yeah. the, uh, so, so the so the space station. When we leave the Russians up there, when we come back, this thing reeks of space dust and vodka. Yeah, is what you're they saying. They get trashed and, Yankee and like candle. float around. Yeah. So the Americans always have to bring their own Yankee candles to clear out <laughs> the Russian vodka smell at the International Space Station. That's what we're saying. So one day we could. Maybe we'll be able to smell what space smells like. Well, we have those stickers <laughs> that you can put on your ceiling of the stars and constellations. They could be like the scratch glow, and sniff. The glow-in-the-dark stickers. Well, you could just have the candle burning. Mm-hmm. You smell like space. You're laying there in bed with space. the lights out. You're looking Full at space. Full sensory Eight-year-old experience. Cameron would be thrilled with this prospect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He'd put it in his little scrapbook. And if it was in candle form, you'd get to play with fire, too. So. <laughs> yeah, right, right. 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 <laughs> get to play with fire. I like it. What do you have, Calvin? 
Well, <clears throat> we got to keep it moving. We got the test coming up. Yeah. I, uh, I have a, uh, basically mine is themed today. It's about parents going too far for their children. Like um, parents gone wild? Yeah, parents gone wild. <laughs> for their kids. For their, for, yeah, their hearts are in the right place, but they've gone wild. Um, a, um, apparently, in Pennsylvania, a mom has hacked the, uh, her children's computer system, the school's computer system that their children went to, mm-hmm. and changed their grades. Wow. Oh, wow. She uh, used to work for this, the school board, and uh, she used to be employed as a secretary for their school district. And uh, she was actually able to get on to their system and uh, bump up her son's grade from a 98 to a 99. What? Why? So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that maybe pushed it to like an A-plus level. And maybe I was going to say, if you're going to go for it, just you know, give them the 100. Yeah. And, wh- and why hack it for a 98? Right. You know? Wow. I, I agree. Um so well, well, is this one of those schools? Like when I was in school, it was a four scale. Now they're all about four point fives and stuff because the A pluses give you an extra point five on the end. Mm, and if it bu- if that one digit pushed it, that could help his overall GPA. That's true. That's yeah. th- this was. reminds me of a story about a guy I knew who, in college, wanted to drop a course. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. We should tag foreshadowing. Yeah. We should go back to that story. Yeah. Um, so it made me think of just examples of parents going too far for their children, and uh, and uh, I'm going to let you in on my life a little bit. Yesterday, uh, when I came home for work, I was uh, taking a walk around with my son. I have an eight month old baby, and I took him for a walk in the stroller, and we walked around the lake. Because you don't live um, on a cul-de-sac. I don't live on a cul-de-sac. I walk a lot and uh, so I'm pushing my baby along in the stroller and we're walking around this how lake much and do you uh, weigh I, yeah it's, he's, you're rather documented li- you're rather lithe you're trim yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway it's because you don't live on a cul-de-sac I come across a uh, it's probably uh, an 18 17 or 18 year old girl uh, getting her pictures taken for like maybe a senior photo or something and she's in her like cheerleader outfit and she's got pom-poms and there's a photographer and there's a mom watching the whole thing and kind of like uh, and she, you can tell the girl's so embarrassed by her mom and the stuff she's saying. And the mom's thing like, oh, that looks great, honey. looks great. Don't forget to smile. Don't forget to smile. Uh. Shake your pom-poms. This is your senior year. Be happy. And the girl's all like embarrassed and stuff. So I'm walking by. And you should have not- just stood there and stopped and watched. <laughs> I should I thought about it. I thought of just staring. Um, and I because th- I think like with awkwardly the- close, like almost right. in the shot. Because when you when you're pushing around a baby, you can pretty much get away with anything. Because right. they're like, hey, wait, oh, baby. Um, so at first, I had like the girl's side. I'm like, yeah, mom, quit butting in. You're embarrassing her. You know, this is making awkward. And then as I thought about it, and I'm walking further down the street, and I really went into uh, the thought process. <laughs> I'm a parent now, and I. I had the mom's side now because I'm thinking, like, I would probably do the same thing. You're paying a lot of money for this shot. This yeah, is a once in a lifetime. Is that girl right. flipping the bill for these senior portraits? Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, so it made me think of an example of my parents going too far. And it made me think of this story that I haven't thought about in years. And it's uh, when I was like, at one point, I liked a girl. So I really liked this girl. I had a crush on this girl. So I'm with my dad and... I forget the exact location where we're at. I think we might have been in an after-school thing or at the mall or something. And uh, we run into the girl. I'm with my dad. And he totally inserts himself into the conversation and mm-hmm. embarrasses me. He's, uh, he basically inserts himself as my wingman. The <sighs> first problem of which is at the time, I'm 12 years old. <laughs> and I'm super awkward. I'm like, you know, pimples. I don't know what to do with my hair. I, I'm not wearing anything. I'm Wait, I'm, what? <laughs> I'm You're not wearing anything. Wait, I'm wearing. I'm not wearing anything good. I'm not, I was gonna say this story just got weird. <laughs> <laughs> but you had a baby with you, so it's fine. So it's fine. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I was not wearing anything well at the time. Is what I'm trying to say. I had no style. I was uh, really chunky and chubby at the time. Awkward face. Big awkward face. Um, and so he inserts himself into this conversation, saying all this stuff like, "Oh, oh well, like, I don't know if you know about my boy, but he can act. You know, he can sing. He's mm-hmm. done this." Uh, Vaudeville. Right. <laughs> Yeah, he can, and he starts, but he, then he starts doing, and he still does it sometimes with my wife, and I'm like, Dad, I've, I've locked her down, but, you know, he'll say just random stuff, like, you know, my son's going to be a producer one day, and, like, never once have I told my dad that I wanted to, pro- to be a producer, I don't know where he's getting this idea, but he just gets this entertainment idea, and he's like, oh, you know, my son can sing and dance, right? He's a... Uh, like you can Gene sing Kelly. And dance? Wait, you can dance? No, I can't. That's the thing. <laughs> it's like, wait, we need to see this. That's the thing. Like... It, and so it's just extremely embarrassing. My dad just mortified me. But think and, about uh, it. You, you're going to want, I mean, you're going to be so proud of your son. You're going to say all these things too because you're so excited and you love him so much. That's exactly where I'm, I'm coming full circle as I get it now. I get the parent thing. 
Um, and I would never go into the computer system and change my kids' grades, but I, I, <laughs> I would never so break she, the she law. She obviously got caught. Yeah, she got caught, and uh, I don't. She got punished. Did her but, kid? No. Um, she <laughs> she said she admits what she's what she did was unethical, but not illegal. That's uh, actually mm. how the story ends up there. All right. Well. That'll do it for slices. Probably the most efficient slices yeah. we have ever done in seven years of this podcast. Boom. Because we know what's coming up next. Right. Don't change the channel. Get, the, get rid of get Don't hit stop. Enough of us. Let's get to the good stuff. All right. Stay tuned. Up next, John Tesh. listening to Yuna. The song is Live Your Life. Well, our next guest needs no introduction, but I'm going to do one anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, sound, you sound like Dick Cavett. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you know, our next guest needs no introduction. <laughs> oh, so John Tesh is a pianist, a composer. He's a radio host. He's a TV personality. His 10-year-old Intelligence for Your Life radio show reaches over 14 million listeners each week and is syndicated on 360-plus stations. He's won six music Emmys, has four gold albums, two Grammy nominations, and an Associated Press Award for investigative journalism, which doesn't go with the others. Don't we all have one of those, though? (laughs) I think I got one lying in my closet, yeah. Uh, He has sold more than 8 million records. His live concerts have raised more than $20 million for PBS. And his NBA on NBC theme song will go down in history as one of the greatest pieces of music ever made. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you also probably know him for his decade as a co-host of Entertainment Tonight. He was also an anchor, a reporter, a sportscaster. Welcome to the relevant podcast, John Tesh. But in, in, in all of that madness, the, my, my biggest accomplishment, according to my Twitter feed, is happening right at this moment. <laughs> it all comes down to this. It all comes down to this. Uh, talk about influence. Boy, you guys have a lot of influence. It's great. <laughs> we have a passionate listenership. And uh, well, it all started because a couple of weeks ago, I, I follow you on Twitter, and, and I, I came across a few of your Tesh Says. Uh, pieces and was so inspired by them, I retweeted them. I mean, they were they were magnificent is the word that comes to mind. And I retweeted them. And, and so when we recorded the podcast that week, I said, have you guys, do you guys follow John Tesh on Twitter? Because if you haven't, you need to right now. It is the pinnacle of what you can accomplish on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so then we just pulled up your feed and in no pre-selected order, I just started reading all the Tesh says. <laughs> it became... <laughs> Legendary. Yeah. Our listeners clamored, we've got to get John Tesh on the podcast. So what I thought it would be fun to do today is, number one, for people to understand the the magnitude of Tesh Says, we need to understand the man behind Tesh Says. Right. Right. We need to understand the man, the myth, the legend. And so I wanted to kind of canvas (laughs) this iconic and um, somewhat surreal career that you've had. You've been busy. Yeah. And then I want to talk about Tesh Says, and, and some of our listeners, as you know, have, have right. sent in questions that they, they would like us to ask you. So we figured we'd do that as well. Oh, no. We're not doing that at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Go ahead. Okay. So, so you were born in New York, uh, Long Island, and yes. went to North Carolina State University, <laughs> after which you became a TV reporter. And so uh, you started in Nashville competing with Oprah. Is that true? It is true. Yeah. I, um, I, I started in radio, actually, and then just was back in the day when this kind of thing could happen. I was, I was uh, 19 and a half years old, and I got, uh, I got suspended from college, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, definitely a, it's definitely a lesson for people <laughs> on how not to do that. And I was, ta- I was, uh, I was uh, you know, forced to get a job. And I got a radio job and bounced around. I ended up in Orlando. And then some guy was in a, uh, in a conference center or something in, in Florida, saw me on the air and said, young man, you're coming to Nashville. I said, oh, okay. So I ended up there anchoring the news with a guy named Dan Miller and Pat Sajak was the weather guy and Oprah at 19 was the wow. was the reporter across the street. So that's really how I got my start. Did you okay, so did, did are there any run-ins with Oprah? Did she scoop you? Is there animosity there? 
Um, no, she would, but you know, I mean, it's, it's like sort of Monday morning quarterbacking thing, uh, when you look back at it, but, but we, you know, in Nashville, we had, we were one of the first stations, TV stations in the country to have, uh, an hour of local news. And there isn't an hour of local news in Nashville, at least there wasn't anyway. And so they would send her out to do these half hour, like garden parties and stuff. And so she would just interview crazy people for like a half hour. And we were all, we'd all sit in the newsroom going, how is she doing this? You know, it was, it was tremendous. So we, we saw that she had a, you know, a, a talent early on. So then when you were 23, you got called up to New York. You got called up to the big leagues. And you were the youngest reporter there at uh, WCBS, right? I, I didn't think the podcast people did research. This is very nice. I'm, I'm honest. Thank you so much. <laughs> the, the podcast people. The people By the way, yeah, soon podcasts will rule the earth because uh, apparently everything else is going away. It's just going to be podcasts. But I, right. I, I digress. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I actually... I sent a tape out when I was 22 and a half from Nashville, just a whole bunch of stations. And this crazy news director in, in New York said, um, said, yeah, come on, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll hire you. And I'm like, really? And so uh, this was 1976. And in that newsroom at that time, I'm sure you guys are probably watching the newsroom on HBO, which is an amazing <laughs> show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and in that newsroom was myself. To my left was Meredith Vieira. She was uh, 22. Wow. Uh, John Stossel was behind me. Uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly was was two seats behind me, throwing spitballs at everybody. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it was just it was like this these cub reporters. We were all scrambling to try and get the news. But it was also 1977 was when Studio 54 opened. Uh, and at the same time, it was the Son of Sam, you know, 44 caliber killer thing. And, and so we were all covering that story. And then at night, we'd go out disco dancing every night. So it was a bizarre thing. <laughs> can, can, can I interject? real quick and ask a question. Did John Stossel still have the mustache? <laughs> he did. In fact, I have actually interacted and, and, and performed and worked with all kinds of people with disguises, including Stossel and Yanni. <laughs> so how did you go from being a cub reporter in New York to hosting Entertainment Tonight 1986? bizarre thing. And that's what I'm saying about, about the career thing. I mean, I know when you look at the, whatever bio you're looking at it, it looks like I have horrible ADD, which, which I won't deny, but it, it um, I was uh, anchoring the news there in, in New York, and it was like 1981, 82, and some crazy guy at CBS Sports called me up and said, hey, you look bored. And I said, what? Who is it? <laughs> he says, it's Van Gordon Sauter, you know, the president of CBS Network Sports. And he said, I want you to come and do, uh, and do sports for me, and you'll travel the world. And I said, listen, I can't even name five NBA teams, to be honest with you. He goes, don't worry. Where we'll be sending you, no one will know how to spell the sports. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, that's, you know, that's, that's just a lot of what we talk about on the radio show is, is you know, find, you're finding a way to risk in your life. And I wasn't married. And so I went to, uh, I went to, I moved to Europe and I covered the Tour de France bike race and every speed skating event you can possibly imagine. The Holman Colon ski flying, the, uh, the world windsurfing champ. I mean, all of that stuff. Uh, and that's really when I started uh, using music that I had composed for sporting events, which it started with the Tour de France. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't answer your question. So I'm in, I'm, I'm doing um, the, the tour like 1985 or something like that and I get this call from a, another crazy guy at Paramount Television who says hey would you like to come audition for Entertainment Tonight I didn't know what he was talking about mm. because I hadn't seen uh, American Television the, the cable thing really wasn't happening and so I came in to uh, say yeah what the heck so I came into New York where I was living and uh, you know after doing the tour and I, I met in this building and there was a you know cameras everywhere and teleprompters and Mary Hart was sitting there and Mary Hart uh, who many people know used to be the host of Entertainment Tonight she was in her Mary Hart regalia I mean like you know the, the all the jewelry and she smelled great you know and I'm used to being a <laughs> and I think what's that sense it's not me uh, you know and and so they, they had me do an audition and they, and they put up, you know, the celebrity birthdays and stuff. And I did this, as the story goes, I did the celebrity birthdays like I was doing the Holman Colon ski race. I'm going, you know, <laughs> celebrating a birthday today. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And, and, but you got the job. I, well, I, yeah. Mary's got her hands over her ears and everybody's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're not doing a ski race, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I got the job in 86 and it was a 13-week contract. So I moved wow. everything to LA in hopes that I would not only be able to do that show, but maybe also get a record deal. That's how that happened. So do you feel personally snubbed by Seinfeld? Because Mary Hart made a very legendary reference, you know, uh, her voice induced seizures in Kramer. Mm -hmm. And you weren't mentioned at all. Not in, not in that way. Actually, though, I, I think I was mentioned in that episode. 
because I think that I think that Kramer says something about about John Tesh does that to me. I, there, it's it's one of those episodes where they where they reference it. Um, but yes, I, I I did feel a little snubbed. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, you left Entertainment Tonight in 1996, but. Way in, longer than 13 weeks. Yeah, way longer than Worked 13 out. weeks. <laughs> but in the midst of that, your music career started to take off. And in 87, so this is a year after you started Entertainment Night, you, you were friends with Yanni, and he was going on a tour, and you were friends with him, and so you asked him if he, you could join his band, and he said yes. Yeah, it's absolutely correct. Um, I met him because we were doing the uh, the Tour de France every week. We were putting out a two hour show, and for people who who are listening to this and remember the early tour coverage, we used to have almost like a relevant type following. Um, <laughs> nice. Hey, I understand the brand. Um, and it, <laughs> well played. People who were uh, you know, who you know who followed bike racing, so we covered it like like MTV style, and we were yeah. using my music and Mannheim Steamroll, and we used a lot of Yanni music. And uh, it was—I mean, it was a lot of score every every weekend to fill. And so when we came back to the states, I said, "I want to meet this guy." So I looked him up, and his career was just getting started. And we became friends, and we played. Uh, I mean, people don't know Yanni was like a national champion, a Greek national champion swimmer. So he was a very fit guy. Uh, I'm six six; he's about five four or something, you know. Um, I mean, he's he's a short guy, but amazing compared to me, anybody is. But amazing piano player, and uh, I was a big fan of his. And so we started playing volleyball together on the beach. <laughs> of course. So Top Gun was actually based on you and Yanni's relationship. It was like Goose, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, and, and he would, and the funny thing is that Yanni, and he's still to this day, you know, uh, he, he wore a Speedo. Um, and it was the funniest thing because one of my best friends was uh, was and still is a disc jockey, Peter Tilden in Los Angeles. And so we would play doubles two on two and I'd be on Yanni's team and Tilden was on the other team. And one time, you know, Yanni was a fantastic player. He would dive sideways, you know, and grab these balls and he missed one and he ended up landing right on his face. And in a rare chance to do a new age musician joke, Peter Tilden says, without, without delay, he says, you know, Kitaro would have had that. <laughs> hey, uh, and it was, uh, yeah, so, so uh, I did. I toured with him for like six or seven shows. And uh, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a huge Johnny fan. He was a big, big inspiration for my career. And, and, uh, and he actually got me signed to his record company. So then this is all still while you're at Entertainment Tonight every night. And in and, and 94, things, it's from my observation, I'm a, uh, 94 is when your music career really exploded with your legendary Live at Red Rocks concert. And the thing that's crazy is you're still at Entertainment Tonight while, while your music career is taking off like this. How did you juggle all that? Well, the, the 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 dirty little secret about entertainment tonight, and it was a it was it was these people were so kind to me, is that um, I only worked four hours a day. I mean, I I went in there and I was literally out by by noon. I had a recording studio on the lot in Paramount, uh, and I would just go out on weekends. And I remember seeing the three tenors, and also I saw you two at Red Rocks doing a uh, their show called Under a Blood Red Sky. And I, I remember looking at that going now, and I went to my wife Connie, and I said, you know what? If I'm going to get anybody to take me seriously i got to do something really big and she said what is it? i said we got to do a pbs special look at this and she said wow that's amazing so i went to pbs and said i got an idea for a show and they said what are you going to do read the celebrity birthdays on stage <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, actually i would go see that <laughs> <laughs> would you come see me we do that just for fun <laughs> uh, yeah so we 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 couldn't get them to pay for it and and they said well put it together if it's any good we'll put it on the air and we'll test it and so we we took a second mortgage on our house it was a very expensive show did it and in right four songs in i mean you want to talk about god thing four songs in it started raining and i mean the orchestra 80 piece orchestra said we're out of here we don't like john tesh that much we're gonna take our instruments (laughs) and get the heck out of here and uh we played four or five songs in the in the rain and they still continued to tape it and then the sun came out and i mean the moon came out and we continued the show with the orchestra as they came back and it, it was i mean to this day you know thank god it was it's like one of the top three or four pbs specials of of all time as far as as far as fundraising mostly because people love watching us being so wet on stage <laughs> <laughs> now in this era uh, of the early 90s you 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 had entertainment tonight you're doing your own music you also then did the uh, hosting of the gymnastics at the 92 and 96 summer olympics and you did a, a bunch of dog shows. So you, you have your hand in almost every possible cookie jar 
from an entertainment standpoint that you yeah. could at this point. I don't. Oh, I, you know what? I, I must have I must have mentioned something along the way about I'd like to do a dog show, but I never did a dog show. Oh. I did I did do something equally as as crazy. I did horse jumping. Oh, that's cooler. Yeah. Wait, well, <laughs> they're like big dogs, so <laughs> kind of. What happened was I was in I'm in Europe and I'm doing the the, the sporting events, you know, and all of a sudden I get this call from the from the sports uh, big wigs and they say you got to come back to Tampa right now. You're going to be doing live horse jumping, and I said what? <laughs> and they said yeah, we're doing live. And I was, I was doing, you know, like Wimbledon, you know, and they said, yeah, we're going to do, you're going to host it. It's two hours live in Tampa and come on in. And I said, I don't know anything about horse jumping. They said, don't worry. We've got this guy. I won't mention his name. And he's an expert. He's been riding his whole life. And whatever they say, and I just go, has he ever been on television? No, but he'll be great. That's the sentence you never want to hear ever. <laughs> anyway, I, I go to do this event and, and have you, and this, maybe this is where the dog, the, the, the dog show thing came from. Do you remember Best in Show with Fred Willard? Oh, of course. Of yeah. course. Great movie. This is gonna. This will make a lot of sense to everybody who remembers that. So I get there and and I'm you know I'm, I, I arrive and I, like four hours we were on the air and he goes, "Don't worry about it, John. You just give the bios of these guys before they before they jump, uh, the the you know, the animals and the people and and then Rob and you know, I'm sorry, I almost said his name. He'll take it from. <laughs> I think he's in a witness protection program now. He'll <laughs> from there. And I said, "Oh, okay, cool." So at the moment the red light came on, he froze. He didn't say anything but yes, no, or I'm not sure. And so I'm, and so David Michaels, my producer, in my ear says, looks like you're on your own. I said, what do you mean it looks like I'm on my own? We're live for two hours. And so in about five or six minutes, I ran out of all the material I had. Oh, no. And I became <laughs> And I started asking, asking my co-commentator, so what happens if they don't jump? <laughs> and he's like, well, they, but they, they usually do want to jump, so it's not, it's not really a big deal. Oh, uh, all the way down the line, too. How much do you think I can bench press? 150, 160? <laughs> that, that, was the, that was the first line I thought of when you were talking about this. And I thought of Fred Willard and Best in Show. Is it descends into how much can I bench press? <laughs> you know, and it was just it was. Why did they have that color on the horse? Why is the tail the horse's tail so long? It was completely terrible. It was so bad that Michaels, when we went to commercial one time, spoke in my ear. I knew this guy for twenty years. He goes, "This is the worst sporting event you've ever done in your life. It will go down in history as that." So that's that was my horse jumping episode. Oh my goodness! We need to find that on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, you left Entertainment Tonight in nineteen ninety six to do music full time. Uh, by then, okay, so I'm looking at it. By my count, you've released at least 54 albums. Is that, <laughs> is that accurate? Wow. I don't remember 54, but it's possible. I mean, there, there were all kinds of... Our record company may have, may have released that many and put my name on it, but there's maybe five or six big ones that, that we've had as PBS specials, including Red Rocks and Avalon, a thing called One World, right. uh, Worship at Red Rocks, Deeper Faith, and then this big band series that we're doing. So you, by looking at the list, there are 54. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> by looking at the list, there seems to be two kind of main uh, eras, main themes. One of the themes, I'm going to read a few album names for you, include... Sa it's, it's, it's like Charlie, the guy from PBS. What's his name? Charlie Rose. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> sax by the fire, sax on the beach, sax all night. Uh, and, and so that's one era of your discography. And then there's another era of your discography. Pure hymns, pure gospel, a deeper faith, worship collection, awesome God, <laughs> a deeper faith volume two, worship at the Red Rocks, God of wonders, and the power of prayer and worship. So kind of, you're, you've got something for everybody in this lineup here. Uh, it's kind of the worship and the song of Solomon's. <laughs> there you go. All in one. Talk, talk to me about that. Um, how did you get into making worship music? Because that seems to be a lot of what you've done here in the 2000s. There's a uh, there's a camp called Canuck Christian Camp and it's in uh, it's in Missouri led by Joe White and both my kids went there and one of my kids was a counselor for years there and uh, we've been supporters of theirs and and one day I mean gosh years and years ago uh, one of the kids said hey would you sit in with the band and it was like you know 250 kids in a gym you know in the middle of nowhere and uh, and and I said well I don't know your music and I said well you'll figure it out and so I'm sitting there with a keyboard and they're playing songs like Trading My Sorrows uh, Shout to the Lord, awesome God, all these songs, and, and I'm, I'm just, tears are just rolling down my, in my cheek, and I'm, and I'm watching these kids in this worship service, um, you know, giving their lives to God, and it's like, it was the most impactful thing that had happened to my life since I'd gone to a, a, a Tony Evans, uh, <laughs> and not Tony Rob Robbins, Tony Evans, and, uh, and so, um, 
I, it, it just caused me to do two things. One, well, I renewed my faith. Um, secondly, I started making music, you know, more more worship music. And then also, I became the worship leader in my um, in my church for about 18, 19 years. And and so that that was the period when I released those records. And we still do play when we go out and do concerts and we do this big band series now. We'll do a show and at the end of the show, we'll say, hey, listen, there are four of our people in this band who are uh, uh, music uh, ministers in their churches. We're going to stay and play a few gospel tunes if you guys want to stay and uh it's always one of the most fun times of the you know of the show so that's how that happened that's incredible that's great um i john i actually did you play the sax or do, do, does you have a do you have a saxophone player come in and, and with your orchestra on those albums like sax on the beach and stuff the whole sorry for the titles the whole idea uh, <laughs> there's no need to apologize <laughs> they're, they're, they're incredible yeah, yeah. And by the way i have to say because I, I i was executive producer on those records which means that i called up all the sax players like five or six on each record i picked all the songs and then i hired a really good friend of mine charlie bisharat to do the you know to the arrangements and we just we a spent a fortune on these records finding all the best musicians got all the best songs and all that and those are like three of our 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 best sellers because there are songs that a lot of you know a lot of Peter, Peter Gabriel, uh, a lot of Sting, stuff like that. Uh, and even some Jethro Tull, I think, is in there somewhere. But um, those are, you know, that for me was just, hey, here's something I really like. Um, you know, let's get these great players to play on. I play piano on it, but no, okay. I'm, I'm not. And people will say, you know, I, I'll go to a, a show and they'll go, hey, did you bring your sax with, with you? And I said, no, I didn't bring my sax. <laughs> Left it on the beach. <laughs> well, John, I, um, I, I, I'm a big okay. fan of those albums. And I thought of, uh, I had some ideas. If you wanted to continue the series, I had some album ideas for you. <laughs> so I just wanted to run them by you. Feeling sexy? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Morning sax. I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sax in public? <laughs> oh no, no, no. Uh, no, not a good one. No. I thought of uh, sexual healing. <laughs> no, no. I like that one. Uh, premarital sex. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I think somewhere in there is a winner. What about makeup sex? Oh, makeup sex. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I thought rough sax. If you wanted to go oh, like yeah. some hard rock. <laughs> that I've just crossed out on my list. That's good. Okay, good. Wow. So, so before we go further, what's the college suspension story? Oh yeah. Oh, you had to bring that back up. Oh, yeah. uh, oh of course. That's what happened. I was in a. Uh, I wanted to be a musician my whole life. That's all I wanted to do. And so uh, my parents sent me to North Carolina State to study physics and chemistry because they figured that I would I would starve to death. That's what it's where it's the you know Southern Baptist hardworking world farmers and that's what they that's what they believed and so I said okay fine so went there did that and then I, I got bit by the radio television uh, bug and was also playing in a jazz club there in uh, it's called Cameron Village in, uh, in Raleigh and I just said you know what I've got to change my major I went to my parents they said no can't do it we want you to make it through here and then you can do something else after that uh, I just said I, I, I thought I was going to die I was very depressed I went to my uh, I had to drop a couple of courses and most of my professors said yeah fine fine my statistics professor at state said no we're past the drop ad period you can't drop the course I think I had a C plus in it which is all, all you can get I think in statistics um, and, and so uh, I, went, I went back to my, my dorm and my roommate Steve Thomas said to me who has credit for starting my music career uh, says to me um, uh, hey, do what I do. And I said, well, what's that? And he goes, just sign your professor's name to the drop ad card. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I thought we needed a reaction there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dramatic pause. Yeah, that's not good. Been there, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> Relevant pause, ladies and gentlemen. So I, I, uh, I said, really? He goes, yeah, I've dropped like 20 courses that way. They never look at those cards. It's not a big deal. Then what do they care if you're in the class or not? Uh, so I said, okay. So I, you know, it was like one of those you know, a Marlon Brando moments. So, yeah, okay, I signed it. And then I handed it in and the semester is over and my report card comes and it's, you know, the course is missing and I actually made the honor roll for the first time and I was so excited. And then about three weeks later, uh, my my father calls me down to the kitchen and he's holding this piece of paper and he goes, what's this? And he's all red and I, he hands it to me. And basically, they uh, I, I busted the honor code uh, and uh, they gave me an F for the course and suspended me from school. So with Within two days, I had been thrown out of school, and my parents threw me out of the house. Whoa! Whoa. And I, I was in I was in my little Volkswagen Fastback. This is 1973, and I had a tent, and I lived in a tent for six months, and I pumped gas and and drove a backhoe at a construction company. Wow! And 
And I have to tell you, and then, and what I did was during that time, I would sneak into the campus radio station and make these fake tapes of me, you know, doing, you know, pretending to be a, a newscaster. And uh, there was some, you know, broadcast named Scott White at uh, WKIX in Raleigh who felt sorry for me and gave me a job on the weekend playing the religious tapes. And that was my, uh, my first job. But if I hadn't been thrown out of school, um, I never went back, by the way. I ended up just sort of, I kept going. Um, but if I hadn't, I don't recommend this. I don't recommend changing your major without telling your parents. <laughs> so uh, not, not finishing college is interesting because now, other than music, you're mainly known for doling out wisdom and intelligence to, mm -hmm. to people over the last decade. Uh, what, what's, what's, I know your radio show, uh, you know, is a lot of, you know, it's music and then life inspiration, advice and wisdom and all that. What, what was the genesis of this? What, why did this uh, become your thing? The test says and, and life intelligence for your life kind of angle. Right. Well, first of all, when I left school, I had 115 hours of studies in so many different things that um, I, 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 I mostly physics and chemistry. So if you need to know Avogadro's number or <laughs> if, if you titrate anything for you at any time, I can, I can do any of that. I, uh, what happened with the radio show was I was mostly doing music and I've always loved radio, wanted to come back. And so I said, well, you know, what's, what's a, yeah, I went to Westwood One. I had, I had filled in for Casey Kasem, who was, on, who was uh, on vacation. And I got bit by the bug again. And uh, I said, well, you know, I, I want to do a show. What should I do? And I think, I don't want to do a countdown show. There's too many of those, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, one night, as we were going to, going to bed, my wife was complaining about my side of the bed. Because uh, my side of the bed looks like, a, like an ADD brain exploded over there. And it's like, it is a little, little bits of, you know, eye pods and sheet music and wires and things and she says to me you know in her in her typical italian she said you know what are you you know she's some italian curse word or something and then she says what are you doing you know well, this is our sleep chamber why are you junking up with all this stuff and of course as a good husband it was about you know 10 years of marriage by then i looked i wanted the cross complaint so i look over her side of the bed and uh it's all these magazines stacked up with sticky notes on them. And I said, what is all that garbage? And she goes, those are all the articles I'm going to get to. I'll, I'll get to them eventually. And I said, no, you're not. She says, yes, I will. I see the sticky notes. I've marked all the, you know, all the articles. And I thought, wow, that let's do a show for that person who wants intelligence for their life, quote unquote, but doesn't have time to get to it all. And we started with three or four stations, got up to six. Westwood One canceled us. I called a friend of mine in New York and said, listen, I really believe in this. Would you help us just call stations? So I literally have called every one of our 300, it's not 380, 380 stations. I've called personally, you know, and said, hey, put the show on the air. It'll change people's lives. It's purpose driven. You know, and that's really how it's been a mom and pop organization ever since. So, so Tesh says, the hashtag Tesh says, I have to ask you, and you can be honest with us here. What percentage of them do you completely make up, <laughs> but you represent they are actually based on facts? Well, um, I don't make up any of them, no. Most of them, I mean, I mean, the crazy thing about this, how many people do you have working on the relevant podcast? Uh, five. five. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. We, have, we have 30 people who work on a radio show, and you, and you know that with a radio show, uh, it usually doesn't take that many. I mean, you guys have a very popular podcast, uh, and that's actually a lot of people for a radio show. I mean, usually it's, not, if, usually it's like, you know, Fluffy Danny and Bobby and the stunt boy, you know? <laughs> uh, you may have like, somebody named Fluffy. Um, yeah, he's very offended right now. Fluffy Danny. He's <laughs> Fluffy he, Danny. Just he, he just left. He just left. Yeah, yeah. He just stormed out. Yeah. Fluffy Danny. But what they, do is they just scour everything, every place, and find this stuff. So a lot of it is. You know, like some of its opinions, of course, mm -hmm. but a lot of it is supported in uh, in in fact. And mm -hmm. uh, we we all we do all day is interview people like Dr. Brian Wansink from the Food and Brand Labs, and Philip Tierno, a microbiologist in Arizona, and you know, and and um, you know, and all these guys. And and so most of it, I would say, most of it isn't my opinion. It's okay. Just, it's Okay, because because there are a few of them. It, we pulled up. We pulled up. I'm not going to hold you to the fire here, knowing that it's you know it's probably your team. But there's a few here that you've tweeted in this last week that I don't know how real this is. Okay, <laughs> so so here's one. You said you're more likely to gain weight if you live on a street with a cul-de-sac because it's less walkable. Hashtag Tesh says. I don't know where that's supported. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you said. Heard of the smell of fear? Nervous sweat makes us stink. Emotion-related sweat comes from different glands and attracts bacteria. Tesh says. Now listen, this is all Twitter's fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, one of the things we did, and I could go on and on, but, you know, we don't need to. Uh, I, I, one of the things we did a couple weeks ago is we said, you know, 
oh, we don't know how real these are. I bet we can make up our own Tesh says. And so a lot of our listeners have gone onto Twitter and, and hijacked your hashtag, Tesh says, with their own Tesh says. And honestly, I, I read half of them and I don't know if it's real or not. So I'm just saying, you know, maybe supporting facts and footnotes, we could uh, do some further <laughs> research. Maybe that could help Tesh says to go to the next level. Uh, the, the favorite one, I love I love this one. Tell someone you love them in their left ear because the left side is controlled by the emotional part of the brain, Tesh says. I don't know if that's true. Come on, John Tesh. Back it okay, up. Okay, first up. of all, people who live on a cul-de-sac, they <laughs> are heavier. It's a fact. They are heavier. National Transportation Safety Board has also confirmed this because Ooh. when you live on a cul-de-sac, you got no way to walk but out, so you drive out. So people who are in a community, they actually walk the streets. Right. And in a cul-de-sac, you, it's a straight run out, so you, you actually do... Uh, gain weight. Uh, what, what, what was the other the one left, you did about? The left ear one. Oh, the left ear thing. How can you possibly refute that? <laughs> <laughs> Try that right now with each other. Just- <laughs> we, we, we will test the theory. We, we will test the theory uh, of the left ear. Uh, listeners, I want you all to test this theory as well. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, and wherever, we'll report back. Wherever we'll, you might be right now. Yeah. If you're in the grocery store, just walk up to somebody and, <laughs> and just the, try Use it. their left ear. Right. See if, yeah, we'll, we'll report back to you, John, and let you know our, our, the findings of uh, our research. <laughs> But um, so as you know, we had listeners uh, ask us or tell us questions they want us to ask you. And so we want to take a couple minutes and uh, throw a couple of them your way. And uh, here, here's a few of the questions that came in. Okay, so Nick Fruling asked uh, about, for, for, for him and myself too, the show Bobby's World was huge when we were kids. And you did the theme song for that show. And he wants to know how you got involved with that. And was Howie Mandel involved with that at all? Well, yeah, it was, uh, of course, it was Howie's show, how he did all the, you know, a lot of the voices on it. It was sort of his, you know, his life. Um, here's what happened. I was in a, in a production house and I was, uh, you know, mixing music for a uh, recording and mixing music for a film. And some guy came in and said, hey, Howie Mandel is in the other room and um, he's stuck. He needs somebody. Um, to, he needs, uh, he has a woman who's playing an accordion and it's all out of tune. Is, is that something you could do with your synthesizers or anything? And I said, um, sure. So I actually had an accordion, and I went in. I met Howie, uh, unbelievably nice guy. And, and I sat there you know, watching the woman play accordion, and I sat there for like three or four hours and, and, and foleyed her, you know, uh, whatever notes she was playing. I played them, but they, it was in tune because it was a better accordion. And so he was like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's great. You know, how much do we owe you? I said, no, forget it, please. You'll do something for me. And so a year later... Um, he fi- finds a way to contact me. He says, listen, I'm doing this, um, this theme, this show, and I want to give you first shot at the theme. That's the kind of guy how he is. So, oh my gosh, you know, and it was like a big deal for me. So, uh, I couldn't think of anything and I messed around with the synth- synthesizer. And, and actually this is the same way the NBA theme was, was written. I, uh, I, le- I got an idea when I was on the road and I left a message for myself on my answering machine and just went, and figured it out on my synthesizer. That became the theme. And he said, well, would you like to do the whole score? And so I said, yeah, sure. So for five years, I wrote this score for Bobby's World. The most fun was when Howie would call me up in the middle of the night and go, I got an idea for a song. Because Bobby would always sing these songs, a little character. Mm-hmm. And so together we wrote, uh, my dad sells pants. Oh, Animals don't wear underpants. Uh, and we wrote Fish Don't Stink as a complete gospel tune. <laughs> fish don't stink. Fish don't stink. And then was animals don't wear underpants. They are left to run free. They have nothing on under their knees. And that became a... Uh, uh, I'm waiting and, for and, that album to be released. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Howie says to me, uh, uh, hey, how cool it would be if, if we won an Emmy for one of these songs, and I said it would be the end of my career. <laughs> Fish don't stink underwater. <laughs> Roger Messner on Twitter asked, if Tesh made a cover record, what songs would he want to do? Yeah, I mean, I think I just did that. Uh, well, oh, the sax on the sax yeah, on the whatever sax. is, yeah. uh, you know, those are all covers. Um, I just finished a record that we're touring right now called uh, Big Band Live. It's a PBS special too. Those are all covers of, you know, Summer Wind and World on a String, Beyond the Sea, uh, In the Mood. All you know, all songs that you've heard Sinatra and all those guys doing. Again, that, those are the ones that we're we're touring right now. So I I really love playing jazz. Uh, it's what we've been doing for the last two or three years. I'd like to know if, you, if you've ever considered scoring the relevant podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I, more as a rap tune, though. You know, when my right. daughter is, uh, is heading for college in September, and 
Uh, and so when you know, I I I, I figured I, you know I wanted to stay relevant with her, and so I you know, when I would drive her to school before she got her license, we would listen to hip hop every day, which is a great way to be inspired. And so. <laughs> So I actually wrote after after that, and after seeing In the Heights like six times on Broadway, the you know the, the Latin salsa hip hop uh, rapping thing, um, I became a rapper. I mean, I mean, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I, I like in concerts now. I, I will rap, and so it's like you know I'll go up in, on the front of the stage and go, uh, how, how many of you guys have uh, you know have uh, teenagers? Da, da, da. Well, you know I'm having a hard time with mine, and uh, yo, my name is John, and I've got a teenager, and she's at that age when boys want to date her. And though I realize this will eventually occur, I've picked up a few things so I can protect her, like mace and pepper spray and night vision goggles <laughs> and a lie detector and two guys from Chicago. I've been driven to this by the thought of her dating. The next step is enhanced interrogating. Yeah, my kid's 16. Why don't you pray for me? What used to be X is now PG. Victoria has a secret, and it's just what we feared. Remember when the worst thing was a catalog from Sears? And what am I going to do when her date's at my door? Driving a Mustang with four on the floor. Oh, hey, come on in. Nice to meet you, Frazier. Hang on a second while I get my uh, taser. <laughs> so here's a shout-out to all the dads of the world. we got to do our best to save our teenage girls. Guard their hearts. They are the wellspring of life. And if that don't work, you call your wife. <laughs> that is awesome. Wow. Amazing. Wow. That's, That's amazing. That is awesome. Love it. Uh, Ryan uh, George on Facebook asked, does Connie leave you honeydew notes follow ending with Celica says? <laughs> That's a great one. No, she does it pretty much in person right in your face. She's uh, Italian <laughs> from the Bronx. And um, it, 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 the uh, instead of the honeydew list, she gives me this before everything she tells me to do, which is... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> almost... Darth Vader thing. Well, if she was on this uh, podcast, the relevant podcast, she would um, she would say, "I don't have to give him a list because I know he won't do anything anyway." So there you Ooh. go. Oh. Ouch! Ouch! John, a uh, CJ Adams on Twitter asks, uh, "Biggest life accomplishment: touring with Yanni, interviewing uh, at Howie Mandel, or being a Klingon." What do you feel is the, your biggest life accomplishment? Oh, and those are the only three options. By <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of of those. Of those three options, it would probably be being a Klingon, which yeah. I know nice. was, yeah, uh, I was in a gym and, and I heard some guy talking about, he was a producer and I said, hey, I've always wanted to be on uh, uh, on Star Trek. And he goes, uh, aren't you the guy in entertainment tonight? I said, yes, I am. Uh, and he goes, okay, um, reports at the Paramount Studios at whatever, blah, blah, blah time. And so I did and it was four o'clock in the morning. So I figured something was up and I figured, you know, I figured I'd be, you know, Jean-Luc Picard's, you know, number one. Uh, and I ended up being, uh, when they started putting a horseshoe crab on my forehead and you know, <laughs> my eyebrows, I figured something was up. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, I stuck, I, I had a paint stick and I stuck Worf with this paint stick and my name is, I have a trading card too. My name is K Tesh, K T E S H. And, uh, I had one line and my line was Hick Saita. <laughs> what does that did you, translate to? Did you become to? fluent in Cleon for this role? Are you method actor? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a method actor. Um, and, I, I, and if you just sort of clear your throat, you pretty much have got half the vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to close with uh, a lightning round. Uh, you know Annie Tipton because you retweeted her. She sent us a ton of questions. They're quick. And we figured we'd just fly through Annie Tipton's questions for John Tesh. Um, what was John Tesh voted as for senior superlative in high school? There was no mention of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, when he was a kid, what did John Tesh want to be when he grew up? I wanted to be Schroeder. I wanted to play piano all day and all night. If John Tesh could be an animal, what animal would he be? Um, uh, uh, a liger from... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're familiar. Perfect. <laughs> what song gets stuck in John Tesh's head most often? Uh, the relevant, the relevant theme song, the relevant yeah, there podcast. You <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> what is John Tesh's TV guilty pleasure? Oh, uh, it was Game of Thrones. Now it's Newsroom. Nice. Oh yeah. What can we do to help get John Tesh on Celebrity Jeopardy? <laughs> uh, uh, there's not a not a chance in hell. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure our Twitter followers can make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love to live my life with this mantra. What's the worst that could happen? And when I answer that one, I think now nah, I'm not going on Celebrity Jeopardy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yet, yet you came on our podcast. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, la lastly, how much of Wikipedia does John Tesh have memorized? <laughs> well, you know all the Tesh says. Right. We assume yeah. it comes from Wikipedia. Yeah. 
does not come from Wikipedia. It comes from our That's right. We now know that. Well, uh, like you mentioned, you have a new big band album out now, and you're touring. Um, you, you tweet about your, your tour. People can find out uh, a lot more at Tesh.com. Mm-hmm. And I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast, uh, John Tesh. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's my uh, it's it's my pleasure. You guys are great. I I, I now have you, you you get loaded in my podcast thing immediately in my, my my Apple thing. But do you guys have any any sponsors? No, we don't. We don't. We uh, we fly. Well, I mean, we're a magazine, you know. So the magazine we do this as a labor of love, just as an offshoot of the magazine. So nope, no sponsors. And and would you like to tell the? Uh, I'm sure you have new podcast listeners now. Um, but would you like to tell the listeners how to get a hold of that magazine? Uh, sure. There you go. Yeah, uh, it's available at Barnes and Noble, newsstands nationwide, but also at relevantmagazine.com. Yep. There, you go. there you go. And if you do end up uh, having, if you do end up sponsoring this podcast, I'd like a piece. Thank you. Okay, of I appreciate course. it. Absolutely. Of course. <laughs> appreciate the checks it. in the mail. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. You're listening to Purity Ring. The song is Bella Speak from their new album Shrines, which is phenomenal. Get it. Purity Ring. All right. Now you understand the what we mean by the afterglow. You are still, right now, you're only 30, you're a minute into this. You're still just beginning the process of absorbing what, what just happened. Yeah. I have a feeling it's going to take days for mm-hmm. us to come down from this high. <laughs> and then the listeners, too. I think much, maybe what you should do right now is you should pause the podcast and maybe just take a walk around, like if you have a cul-de-sac or a street, whatever, just take a walk, get some air, and then come back. As long as you don't live in a cul-de-sac. Right, right. Yeah, right. come, come back, light up back. your Yankee candles, then put back on the podcast. I love how he, he took some umbrage to the cul-de-sac. He defended that. He did. Yeah. 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 You don't mess with the Tesh. You don't you, say that. You, you do not question the Tesh. You don't question the Tesh. You that don't is question a, the Tesh. That is the lesson that I learned in the last segment. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting there. And, just, and you almost learned it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just needling, just needling him a little bit, just saying, hey, you know, I'm not sure that your, you know, research assistant, I think she kind of maybe made this one up, you know. Yeah, obviously. He's like, the National Medical Association has on record that, that you know, yes, like, sir. Yes, yes, sir. sir. Yep. I snapped yep. into shape after that one. <laughs> <laughs> we believe you. <laughs> yeah, don't question the test says anymore, folks. They're real. They're real. We know. He told us. Yes. So we don't really have your feedback from last week because we gave your feedback to John Tesh. Yeah. So I guess we'll just jump right into it. It's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. All right. Well, back in slices, if you can remember back that far. I mean, it's like if you're looking back in a timeline, <laughs> if you're looking in a timeline, there's like an aura, there's a glow that mm-hmm. might haze your memory of slices. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, but if you can get through that and cut through the mist. That was the John Tesh segment. I mean, we recorded it out of order, and I don't remember them now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Calvin talked about parents crossing the line, going too far for their kids. Yeah. And we thought, listen, we've all experienced it. That's just what having a parent is. Mm-hmm. So we want to know your most embarrassing parents going across the line for you <laughs> story. Uh, we want, yeah, we want to know your stories. So head over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at relevant podcast or hit us on our Facebook page and tell us your most embarrassing parents going above and beyond for you story. I do have, and I think I told this at one point, uh, but there, (laughs) and this was, this was a, a mutual misunderstanding by myself and my mother. Um, but I was only in second grade at the time, so I think she should probably take the blame. Yeah, it's on her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they were having like a big. And I remember it was like second or third grade, and it was like elementary school, and they're having some big party at the school, like uh, on you know like a Friday afternoon, like after school, where everyone would go home and, and kind of get dressed up and then go back. And for some reason, I, I still don't, I still can't recall the reason why. But my mother and I were under the impression that this was a costume party. <laughs> oh, <But> yeah. 
I, I can't remember the scenario, but there, we were wholly convinced that everyone would come back uh, very much dressed up. And for some reason, it wasn't like I had like a store-bought costume, but we had spent about a week preparing and making a really awesome lion outfit <laughs> full on, with full-on face paint. And, and, and like I said, I can't remember the reason why we thought that, that this would be appropriate attire. Uh, but we show up, and I remember walking into the gymnasium and just kind of doing a lap. In the lion outfit. Oh my gosh. And realizing something in the communication cycle has gone terribly wrong. Oh no. uh, luckily, my mom waited there at the door and I quickly made the exit. I'd, it was never explained to any of my classmates why I showed up in a lion costume. Uh, because it was on a Friday, I don't remember hearing a lot about it the next week. Uh, so it was just like, I almost feel, and it happened at the beginning of the party. So I think by the end, people probably forgot. But they, like a couple of weeks later, they maybe, did Jesse show up to a party wearing a lion costume? <laughs> no, that never happened. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so that that was a little embarrassing. I can't totally blame it on her, but she was the adult in the situation. So, to this day, my dad still thinks that I should go in the army. <laughs> still, yeah, he still mentions it because <laughs> there's like, a well, lot of they need some producers. He's in like, the well, army. you know, I mean, you know, you could always be in the army band. <laughs> <laughs> they have army bands. I see them on TV. You, know? you get to meet the president. <laughs> yeah, they play with Seems John Tesh on July Fourth. He's like, you still got your clarinet? I was like, no, Dad. I don't know what happened to it. Oh. <laughs> Thankfully, we're going to buy one for our studio. Yeah, yeah. I'll, get, I'll get practicing on it again, and then maybe I can join the Army Band. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so hit us up with your embarrassing parents going too far for you stories. Well, John Tesh told you, you need to subscribe to Relevant. If you want to do that, head over to the all-new relevantmagazine.com right there you can subscribe uh, you'll get instant access to all the magazine content right there on the website plus access to download our current album subscribers get four albums uh, over the course of the year plus premium content and more you can subscribe for $14.99 to get all that plus the print magazine and it's just $5 more to get the iPad edition we'd appreciate the support and come on John Tesh said subscribe to Relevant I heard it it's a new ad campaign <laughs> um, also, a uh, housekeeping note, in a couple weeks is the seven-year anniversary of this humble old podcast. We've gone from me and the editor sitting in a room by ourselves talking about the new issue to John Tesh <laughs> being the part of this. I mean, come on. We've done the whole arc. And we have some stuff planned for our seven-year anniversary. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We have some stuff up our sleeves, so you won't want to miss that. Many thanks. All the thanks in the world yes. to John Tesh. With all of our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> For sitting in, talking to us. Um, thanks to John Tesh. Uh, he does have a new album out now. It's a big band album. I actually purchased the LP from the Tesh store. It came very quickly, two days later. I had it in my office. Um, and maybe we'll use it as a prize in an upcoming mm, week or maybe. something. Or maybe I'll just listen to it. Um, uh, check out Tesh.com for all the life advice you could ever want. And find out if his uh, show is playing in your area. And his tour dates. And if you'd like, you can continue to retweet, Tesh says. Yes. I'm yes. sure he's not sick of all of these people retweeting him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully his assistants haven't turned off his alert settings <laughs> alert either setting, yeah. on his phone, and he keeps getting them at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Maya Strang. Don't question the Tesh. <laughs> that's Calvin Carey. <laughs> and I'm Jesse Carey. That's Ted Michael Snavely. We'll see you next week. If you're ever gonna hold me It had better be tonight Or somebody else may hold me It might make me feel just right Melios to sit up, baby Go, go, go Or as we natives say Fasso Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Go follow us on Twitter, at Relevant Podcast. And for more great content, check out relevantmagazine.com. Guard their hearts. They are the wellspring of life. And if that don't work, you call your wife.